What we do in life echoes in eternity. You will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live. From the WSFI studio in Libertyville, Illinois, this is Pro-Life Today with your host, Joe Scheidler. Hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of Pro-Life Today on WSFI 88.5 FM radio. I'm your host, Joe Scheidler of the Pro-Life Action League, and my co-host today is my beautiful wife, Ann Scheidler. And my guest today is one single man, Kyle Clement. He's from San Antonio, Texas, and if you don't know where that is, it's near View, Texas. Kyle is a former consultant for Leo the 13th Institute, and guess what Kyle does for a living? He trains exorcists. Now, a lot of people don't know what an exorcist is, so to find out uh, what a person does to train them is going to be an interesting program or two or three. Uh, Kyle is married. He has uh, three kids and seven grandkids, and they all live in Texas. And so uh, we ran into Kyle the other night at a party. We were sitting at his table, and we found out he trained exorcists and I've always been fascinated by exorcists and seeing movies about exorcists and studying about it in the seminary and when I was at Notre Dame we had one of the priests who had gone with exorcists uh, when they did their work driving the devil out of people who have somehow invited him in it's a real thing Uh, there's a real devil there are people who really do get possessed by the devil whether you believe it or not or like it or not it's uh, it's the truth and so we've got a man here who believes enough in it that he trains these priests in the art i suppose it would be uh, kyle the art of exorcism so why don't you tell us what exorcism is how you got into training priests and things we don't know anything about oh my goodness we put three balls in the air all at once right so, so let me I so juggle <laughs> that's the whole point excellent so let me take one at a time first of all what is exorcism Exorcism is the formal response by the Roman Catholic Church to a penitent or a petitioner who is experiencing extraordinary machinations of the devil. Now we put up several things to be defined right there. The extraordinary machinations of the devil go beyond simple temptation. They go to physical, psychological uh, affliction. This is going to be determined or diagnosed by those with knowledge of the phenomenon and its counterfeits as well. Um, This current formula of diagnosis has been in this uh, usage since 1614, uh, a big nod of the head to St. Charles Borromeo for putting together that uh, formal rite which stood as the solemn rite of exorcism up until about three months ago when the new rite was promulgated. It doesn't supersede the old rite, however now we have two different methodologies. Exorcism is reserved to a priest of the Catholic Church named by his bishop. The chief exorcist of any diocese is the bishop, and but according to 1172 in the Catholic Church, it is reserved to the presbyterate properly named by the bishop. Um, so that's what exorcism is. Well, Kyle, before we get, you know, I see where we're going immediately, but one thing I want to establish 
for our audience out there and many people who may be just tuning in as they drive by. Um, who is the devil? How do we know there's a devil? It's, it's an excellent question. I think that we look at, first of all, there's three definitions to help get our head wrapped around, and this is the way uh, exorcists discuss the phenomenon, if you will. There is a creature, and his proper name is Lucifer. He's named in Scripture. He sets himself up as an apostate angel, created as an angel. He is in rebellion to God and is cast from the heavens. We have scriptural precedent as well as unbroken tradition and magisterial statement on Lucifer and his free will act of apostasy against God. Devil, or diabolical, describes the action, which is to divide. And the division that's talked about in any by any devil or any diabolical action is a division between creature and creator, between God Almighty and his, his Christ, but the Blessed Mother, who a lowly creature is elevated to the heights and now becomes the reflection of, of the Lord, the reflection, the refulgence of the beauty and the essence of God through her free will act, which is her yes. So at the end of the day, there's only one word difference between apostasy and absolute grace. And that one word difference, Mary says, be it done unto me according to his word, according to God's word. Lucifer says, be it done unto me according to my word. Right. This, you know, when we did study uh, Satanism and Satan's song, uh, the, what we think the cause was basically, and I, I'd like to hear you expand on this, that uh, God let Lucifer, let the, the pure spirits see that there was going to be a lesser creation, at least in the eyes of Satan, that there would be a creation which would be physical, which would have a body, would not be pure spirit, and yet it was into that creation that God himself was going to answer and be identified and that was just too much for Lucifer to think that something less than him less pure than him would become God and he wouldn't is there any is that got any kind of a support in uh, the Catholic dogma Oh, it absolutely does. It goes back to our patristics, and it's an uninterrupted tradition that Lucifer's statement was, and it's also scriptural, but essentially Lucifer's statement is non-servantum. I will not serve. And then the second part of the statement is a God who will take a form less than me, mm -hmm. which is exactly what you're speaking of, which is God visiting upon humanity the same eternal soul, the same olam, the same eternal presence that the angels enjoyed, that that would be in this hybrid mud man creature. And so you're precisely right, and that's been the patristic tradition, and that's been the church's position, that that is the incarnation, or, or uh, specifically the incarnation of the Christ, God become man, that... Lucifer predicates Lucifer's non-servantum statement. So, mm -hmm. yes. non-servia, right? And? and and yet, um, 
Jesus wouldn't have had to come into the world if it were not for Lucifer's uh, revolt and the subsequent sin that that entered you know all of the cosmos. So uh, it's an interesting. Um, uh, like suspension of time, I guess you might say. Uh, we don't understand time in eternity. That that Lucifer would would know this was going to happen um, and and be so um, angry about it. Uh, do you think he knew the gravity of, of the choice he was making at the to, time? To an excellent observation and an excellent question. Let's go to the observation first. St. Augustine says, Oh, happy fault. Mm -hmm. We hear this in the Exaltet in the um, Easter Vigil. Oh, happy fault, which necessitated such a Savior. And so we're looking at exactly what happens when the fabric of eternity is constrained by the fabric of a temporal world. And so while we say that but for the fall of man, Christ would not have come. Christ has always come. He will always come, and he is always coming. That's the eternal. And so the tradition is is that when God showed the angelic realm, the beatific vision, which is the totality of everything, that is Lucifer's revolt at the incarnation. I will not serve a God who will take a form less than I. But it is reaction to every creature every creature must react to the incarnation this is either god become man or it's not this is precisely what was shown to the angels and your reaction is to give glory to god and yield to this truth such as what peter said you are the christ the son of the living god mm -hmm. is to yield to that truth or apostate from it in various forms and so you, you bring up a wonderful point it is the incarnation which continues to divide man among himself not from god but we can either embrace that or we will be apostate, set aside, divided from God. This brings us to John 6 when Jesus says, no one comes to the Father unless the Father beckons. No one comes to the Father unless he comes through me, meaning Jesus. So this is that linkage. There's no way to God except through the Christ and the acknowledgement that Peter made. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we see the temporal and the eternal and how they interact here. Now, Kyle, we want to get into the exorcism itself, and we're going to spend a lot of time on that. But I, I want to clear up just some things that have been on my mind. Uh, and the, the fall of Eve is such a mystery to me. Because here was a woman created perfectly with a mind that was not confused, that had not fallen, that was not suffering as, as we do from uh, corruption and all. And yet she was tempted by the devil to do something that would make her like a god, and she fell for it. Here's the thing that I cannot, my wife wouldn't have fallen for it. Blessed Mother wouldn't have fallen for it. Mother Teresa wouldn't have fallen for it. Why did Eve fall for it? Let's now look, tell me that. Let's look at the progression because this is where we start exorcist training and this is where we start training the teams that uh, help them. And this is where ultimately you talk to the penitent. Is about the um, 
everything surrounding the fall of man. And so let's look at that. All right. It, the Genesis 3 is just full of wonderful fruit, pun intended. It's got some bad fruit, but it's full of good fruit. Let's look at it from a couple of statements. We'll, we'll take a couple of flyovers, and then we're going to zero in. First right. flyover is, I think it's a good observation. C.S. Lewis makes it, and it, and it really brings it uh, to bear what the patristics have told us about church fathers, and that is there are three ways to fall. The world, our own humanity, and then the devil. So we see that the devil in temptation is really only one of three. The world. In other words, to be wrapped up in the world or to desire worldly things rather than God. Men, or even ourselves, to desire creature more than creator. And then finally, the devil, the temptation. But I would challenge our common thought of Genesis 3. When did Eve start to sin? And I, we can ask these questions here in studio. I would ask you, when does Eve start to sin? Sin meaning depart the will of God. Where does she start to sin? And you know, <laughs> your lady. I don't know that I can answer that. Um, I, it's always been curious to me that the devil asked her, did God really say you shouldn't eat any of this fruit? And she doesn't actually correct what let's, what that perception is. Let's uh, go back. Back before that. Yeah, because modernly we've lost the concept of when sin starts. The confidior is beautiful and it's very direct. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned. I love that prayer. In my thoughts, in my words, what I have done and what I have failed to do, it is possible to sin and commit grave matter in our thought to, to be involved in mortal sin. So when does she start to contemplate the tree? Is the garden so small that she must shimmy by the tree and avert her eyes? Is she out of fruit everywhere else? I would propose that there's a curiosity. And so she loses custody of the mind. She is entertaining a thought that she should not be entertaining. This places her in proximity of sin, the near occasion of sin. I don't believe that the serpent yelled across the garden, yo lady over here. Mm -hmm. I think it was a very soft and subtle seductive voice which places Eve too close to the tree. I've got a Scott grandmother that if she had been Eve, all of sacred scripture would be a trifold brochure with room for a picture. Because <laughs> she would have whacked the snake the minute he started talking. Okay, looks, well, looks like we need to take a short break for yeah. a couple minutes here. Yeah, we're going to take a short break. I am your host, Joe Scheidler, with my assistant host here today, my wife, Ann. And you're listening to Pro-Life Today on WSFI 88.5 FM. Our guest today is Kyle Clement. And he's talking about training exorcists, and we're getting around to the training, but we got to get, first of all, uh, the devil put away <laughs> so we can know what to do with him when he comes and possesses somebody. We'll be right back.
Hello, I'm Bill Wennington from the Church of St. Mary's and the Chicago Bulls. I, I believe Catholic Radio is important for all of us out there listening to help us through days when maybe our faith is being challenged by many different obstacles that are put in our way. And it's a chance to reflect and just think and hear stories from other people that maybe are going through the exact same issues that we are going through and how they have struggled and how they are getting through their problems today. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at WSFIRadio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Did you know that you can listen to WSFI local programming on demand? Full episodes of Pro-Life Today, WSFI Spotlight, Healing the Whole Person, Bursting Forth in Sound, along with our novenas, prayers, and devotions are available on your mobile device or online. For iPhone and iPad users, open the already installed podcast app and search for WSFI. Then click subscribe. Android users need to visit the Google Play Store, download the Stitcher app, create a free account, then search for WSFI. Add us to your favorites playlist by clicking the plus sign in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. The full archive of local shows is also available at WSFIRadio.org. Need help? Call us at 224-206-8455. That's 224-206-8455. Welcome back to this episode of Pro-Life Today WSFI 88.5 FM Radio. I'm your host, Joe Scheidler, with my guest host today, my wife, Ann Scheidler, and our guest, Kyle Clement from Texas, who is a trainer of exorcists, and we've been talking about what you exercise, and what you exercise is the devil, and that the devil is a real entity, a real person created by God as an angel who disobeyed, who wanted to be like God and was cast out was a third of the angels we read in scripture. And so we have evil in the world, and to, to have a, an evil so grave that the devil actually possesses a person, some people just can't quite um, cotton up to, but but we do. And we have a man here in the, in, in the studio today, Kyle, who actually trains exorcists, and we're talking about the devil and how uh, he tempts us. And one thing that interested me was to uh, take the uh, prayers that we say where actually God, um, when when we have thoughts, works, and deeds, and th- that's how He works through us. So, Kyle, you want to pick it up from there? Yes, we we're at the third. We're in the third chapter of Genesis. We're in the garden, and we're just before um, Eve's interaction with the serpent, and. 
we were talking about what is her proximity. She's got to be close to the tree to hear this small seductive voice. So this puts her in a place where she's in the wrong place at the wrong time. How many of us have always have been warned, don't be in the wrong place at the wrong time? So this is St. Paul speaking about the near proximity of sin. So she's in that proximity, and now she listens to the snake. I would propose this is the first annunciation. An angelic being speaks to a human. The human takes the lie in and so believes it, it becomes sin within her. Compare this to the true Annunciation, where an angelic being speaks to a human, Mary takes it in, so believes the truth, that it becomes the Christ within her. So it's an interesting observation. But by the time Eve acknowledges the snake and speaks back, she's engaging in an unnatural act. She's already well down the path of sin. She's already separated herself from God's will in the consideration of something that is she knows to be forbidden, that she knows to be outside God's holy will. I would propose to you that this was the first actual ecumenical dialogue meaning one religion <laughs> speaking to another. And so she engages in an unnatural act. Now this will also be indicative of a possession case is that the demon will entice the person to do something unnatural. And in doing that unnatural act, they be form a relationship with the devil, with the demon. Eve forms a relationship with the serpent when she begins the dialogue with him. What do I mean by an unnatural act? For a married man, this would be pornography or the consideration of an affair. For a married woman, it would be to speak disrespectfully of her husband or to deride him. So there are many unnatural acts that we don't recognize as unnatural, but the demon does, and he will um, very much come to that activity. He doesn't cause it. We do this out of our humanity. He comes to our sin, and in that sin forms a relationship. That's how possession starts. Not that everyone who sins is possessed. That's not what I'm saying at all. But there must be an But you kind of take the risk at that point that you it could go do. there. You certainly do. We as Catholics talk about being in a state of grace or not in a state of grace. What exactly does that mean? It's Psalm 91 protection. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, and then there's all of these representations of protection. We skip over that first line, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, meaning to remain in a state of grace, not be in a state of mortal sin. So that's how Eve, if we look at, and then we ask the person who is being afflicted to go back and examine their life and see when these relationships, these unnatural relationships and sins were formed. Let's see, and she, now when, is Eve sitting all the time? Does she start by even talking to the devil? Is that like the beginning of her sin, that no. she would have a conversation with with this uh, tempter? See, I'm saying that by the time she's having the conversation, she's already well down that path down of the, sin mm -hmm. because she's considered it, and she's in proximity to the tree. And 
she's entertaining out of curiosity. She's looked upon the fruit. She's evaluated the fruit. Um, why is she there? She's letting herself be tempted. In other words, she has paradise to enjoy, and she's hanging around the tree. Exactly. Of, of knowledge and, yeah. Exactly. Right. That's the point. You know, an expression we seldom hear anymore, um, and I remember hearing it so much growing up in, in, in Catholic school back in the 50s, was the occasion of sin, to make sure you don't put yourself in the occasion of sin. I don't think I've heard that expression in decades now, but... Um, it's a wonderful observation. Yeah. We don't think that way. We have to be, we have to be pursuing virtue to think that way. Um, you have to d- be desiring cleanliness to avoid becoming soiled. <laughs> and so I think it's that different disposition. Right. Well, we want to uh, we want to prescind from Eve because uh, she she now becomes the temptress. When Adam comes to her, he is he is clean. He hasn't been hanging around the tree. He hasn't been particularly concerned about God's command. But he comes to his wife Eve. Now, now what happens to the human race through Adam? Yeah, I think that we have to first look at what is the cons- first consequence of this is she shared it with her husband who was with her now we misinterpret that in english but the way it's written in hebrew and the way the punctuation is who was with her is an indication of the conjugal act meaning it was shared during the nuptial act because we see this in the very immediately the first consequence is and they saw they were naked I had a first grade teacher who explained the difference between nude and naked. Obviously, I still remember it. She said, nude is no clothes. Naked is no clothes, but you're up to something. (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting way to put it. (laughs) So they saw that they were naked. And so now we've got consequences of, of sin being spread through creation and the fracturing of the relationship with God. We go through immediately the admonitions. God says, where are you? And it's a very poignant question. It's not a geographical question. It's a spiritual question. Where are you in relationship to me? Where are you? And Adam answers like a 12-year-old boy who's caught red-handed. I was scared. He doesn't answer the question that was asked. Immediately, it's I was scared. So we watch the evasion. We watch the, the rotten fruit of a fractured relationship. If you've ever been a parent, you've seen this, you've experienced this, and it tears at your heart. And in this moment, God is sharing with you what, what it was like. What it was like to have children in error and moving away from you and scared of you. Um, and so Adam is scared. And why is he scared? Where does this false construct of God come from? Where does this idea of fear? Because God has been, it's clear that he's a loving God. He's a kind God. He's a creating God. And they walk and they talk in the cool of the evening. And there's this paradisio relationship. Now suddenly God sees him as something to be feared. Uh, Adam sees God as something to be feared. So this is a rotten fruit of the fall. And it's many men's disposition is to fear God. We'll see this repeated over and over in Cain and in others. And you see it in the modern Satanist, who God is someone to be feared and to be got even with, to be combated, to be against. And 
there is an adversarial relationship set up in this disposition because one is either drawn toward God or repulsed by this concept of God and this idea that I would yield to no one. It's this stiff-neckedness, this elevation of creature to creator status that is at the heart of Satanism. Well, what is the sin of Adam, though, explicitly? Adam's explicit sin is the stepping away from the two blessings that God gave him. Now we're going to go directly to this beautiful apostolate that you're involved in. But if you'll recall, God blessed them saying, he created them, created all, all everything. God uh, made Adam, then brought Eve forth, and he blessed them saying, go forth and multiply, subdue the earth, bringing it under your dominion. These are the two blessings. These are the two charges. God says, be my presence in the earth by procreation and stewardship be my presence God speaking to Adam be my presence on the earth by procreation and stewardship and the linkage to those is so constant so what happens is the demon by attacking this and Adam stepping away allowing Eve to take control so to speak in this moment and to make a decision that is not hers to make wasn't Adam's to make either. It's I'm not making that point. I'm simply saying it worked against God's holy will. So now this sin is present. <clears throat> the conjugal act is the first thing to become profaned, perverted, because they saw that they were naked. Now there's a shame that enters. Now there is an element that enters the conjugal act that was never meant to be there. Um, and so it was meant to give glory to God and for procreation. It's amazing how much time the demon spends in the profanation and in the per perversion of the conjugal act in all forms. The second one is dominion. Dominion now becomes domination. And if you want to see a graphic difference between dominion and domination, dominion is a group of sheep following a shepherd. Domination is the shepherd driving the sheep. Mm. And so it's, it's where is the motivation? And so how often do we lead as a shepherd or how often do we drive as a drover? Uh, it's the imposition of our will is domination. The imposition of God's will is dominion. And so that's a good juxtaposition, if you would. So there's the sin of Adam. But God had said increase and multiply. That was obviously his plan to, to inhabit the earth with other creatures. And so the, the act itself is, not, is good. And uh, it's obeying God. And, and, and all married people are supposed to have kids. If you get married with the thought of having no children, it's a question whether or not you're really married. And so that the procreation was not wrong. Where was the shame? What, what really caused the shame that they knew they were naked instead of nude, as you said? Well, the insertion of self into the act rather than for the glory of God. And so very narrowly, that is it, is we see that oftentimes um, 
the more that the person is acting through the act in their own authority and not in the person of creator or in the in the giving glory to God we're men are to be the arbiter of the act the steward of the seed the steward of the seed of mankind and so the way the profanation of that has become is the spilling of the seed allowing um, animal desire or lust a lower faculty rather than intellect to be the arbiter of the act and so we engage in the conjugal act most often out of impulse rather than intellect if we engage in the higher faculty of intellect for the purpose of procreation rather than satisfaction then you're seeing how that's that act has become profaned and so if we engage in it out of sanctification rather than satisfaction then you're seeing the higher faculty the intellectual faculty the relationship with God affirmed through the act because Adam is realizing his nakedness now he's wanting to escape God's gaze in the act let's see okay well let's when when would be when would it possession start in the, in the human race even Adam were not possessed they were tempted but not possessed and we don't know uh, just when it starts during Christ's time there were so many uh, possessed people that was what he one thing he was known for was to drive out demons and uh, he was doing it all the time and we wonder do we have that many people's possessed today so I'd like to get on with what you're doing okay. and what you're finding and some of your history of possession of the human species let's go back to um before we leave our first couple yeah let's go back and, and dialogue just a little bit to give you an idea of how possession works and probably the first possessed individual um and how he he became possessed and so let's let's it's uh it's there in scripture it's in four genesis so imagine if you will adam and eve have just been evicted from the paradiso and so they're leaving what do you think that scene is like? And what do you think the interaction is between Adam and Eve? Well, if they're speaking to each other at all, it's in anger. Uh, she's blaming him, he's blaming her. Uh, they might be leaving in total silence because they're just so angry they can't even speak. And on top of that, they're, um, they're ashamed. Um, because they've rejected what God has given them. He's given them everything, the whole world, and they've chosen to do their own will instead and, and take the consequences, but it's, you know, you don't want to be punished for what you did wrong. You want to get away with it. <laughs> So. What, do you, what do you think, Joe? Have they lost that love and feeling? Well, yeah, Adam's, <laughs> Adam blames Eve right away. You know, he says, well, I, she told me, you know, I, he wasn't going to eat of it, but uh, Eve gave it to her, and then he ate. So he's blaming her, and nobody likes to be blamed. So obviously there's a rift right there between Adam and Eve. She becomes the guilty party, and he's trying to, to, get, to escape his guilt by blaming it on her. So there's, there is a rift, and as Anne says, they probably weren't even talking to each other. If they were, they were not close. Can you imagine her saying things like, I don't care if you are the last man on earth. Oh, wait, you are. <laughs> uh, so 
eventually there's a conjugal act so what do you think their attitude toward each other was in this nuptial embrace what do you think how do you think they treated each other was this a kind and tender moment i doubt it no it's just probably more of an animal kind of a instinct uh, rather than a real caring for one another i think you're right i think it's a real good insight so let's go ahead and, and stay right there for a moment what spirits do you think are present to that conjugal act meaning what do you think they brought to it how do you think adam felt how do you think eve felt well they both felt sort of guilty that it wasn't the way it was supposed to be but they also felt their own self-interest their physical interest in 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 the act rather than as uh, doing something god had requested they're not thinking so much of populating the earth as just having you know the act so i i don't know i wasn't there but uh, i think it was hostile and it was uh, self-serving what do you think, Ann? I'm thinking, you know, possibly more like a rape situation almost, um, rather than any kind of tenderness or, or love or, or give any thought to God. Uh, and based upon God's part of the penalty and admonishment was your, your desire for your husband will increase, meaning your desire to control your husband will increase. It could be almost a mutual rape thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the last man, the last woman on earth. All they have is each other in this. And so I think you're right. But let's look at the product of that act. His name is Cain. Describe the personality of Cain. Yeah, Cain's not an ideal son, for one thing. He's, he's angry and uh, he's self-serving pride proud I'm jealous and looks down on his little brother look at the, and gets into a fight with him that's serious enough that uh, there's a there's a death precisely now now we're getting an idea of how generational and familial sin is present to a conception i think this is something that's very key is that when god sends a soul to a conception our god is not a random god He's not a coincidental God. He knows the number of hairs on your head, the days in your life. He sends your souls precisely to the conception where it will have the most salvific potential. And that the demon very subtly says, you were born into the wrong body, the wrong family, the wrong time. No one understands you. God made a mistake. And if you listen to that, he's got you off off base, far enough to get picked off. Well, here comes our little break, and uh, I am your host, Joe Scheidler, with Ann Scheidler here. You're listening to Pro-Life Today on WSFI 88.5 FM. My guest is a man who trains exorcists, uh, Kyle Clement. We'll be right back with you after this short break. A prayer for deliverance with Father John Regisser of the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Kolbe at Marytown. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, we just ask for the grace of the Holy Spirit to come down upon us, the intercession of Our Lady and of all the saints and angels, and we come against any influence of the occult or the New Age that might have infiltrated any of our listeners, their children, their grandchildren, their nieces, nephews, brothers, and sisters, and families, and we bind Satan and all of his minions in any way that have bound any of these 
these individuals and their families in this occult practices. And we invoke Mother Mary also in all the saints in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. I just break all bounds and all influences of the new age upon any one of our listeners. And may they be broken in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May He send upon them the grace of the Holy Spirit to free them. And may our Mother Mary place her motherly mantle to protect them and crush the head of the evil one as she was promised to do so in Genesis after the fall. Amen. and welcome to this episode of Pro-Life Today on WSFI 88.5 FM Radio. I'm your host, Joe Scheidler of the Pro-Life Action League in Chicago. My co-host today is my wife, Anne, and my guest is Kyle Clement, who is a trainer of exorcists, and we're going to get into that very much today. Kyle, welcome back. And um, we were talking about Adam and Eve's sin, and then the fact that the fruit of their sin was Cain, who himself was uh, a, a sinful person. Do you want to go to what Cain's sin was, and, and what came of that, and why we have exorcism of the devil today in our very own country? Uh, I think that's a great segue, Joe. It's good to be back. Hello, Anne. Um, the thing to, to draw from four Genesis where God is speaking to Cain. Here you've got an opportunity. God's actually giving spiritual direction to Cain. And he says, why are you crestfallen? Sin is a demon lurking at your door, but you can master it if you do good. So God is, is giving Cain a piece of psychological advice. Why are you crestfallen? Meaning, why are you feeling sorry for yourself? And then the second one, sin is a demon lurking at your door. The demon enters through sin, through this fractured relationship with God, this working against God's um, holy will. So when Cain listens to this and then discards God's very words to him, he opens himself up to the devil. He goes and kills his brother. The demon is looking for someone who is willing, not just sin, but someone who is willing to work against God's will. And so the person who finds himself possessed has usually associated with an occult activity or an institutional activity which militates directly against the church and or God's will. We look for extraordinary affliction of the devil and there's a diagnostic part of the training of the exorcist in in their formation is the ability to use different prayers, methodologies, and counseling with the person to determine if it's predominantly a psychological problem or if it is in fact an extraordinary machination of the devil. Uh, certain diagnostic prayers and disciplines are used to determine what is the involvement. Is this a deep obsession or is this a, in fact, possession where a formal response by the church will be warranted? So a lot of the formation has to do with how to do the intake, how to do the investigation, 
how to do the diagnosis, how to consult mental health professionals, medical professionals, and others. For instance, is the aberrant behavior consistent with a thyroid dysfunction, which oftentimes is is the case? Hmm. Will the person respond to medication? Is it a psychiatric problem? Is there an organic issue here that involves the person's thought process? Um, And so a lot of these things must be ruled out in order that the person can receive the spiritual uh, attention that they deserve. And it's a whole person approach. It's not as if we say, well, it's psychological, so we don't deal with it. Quite often, we, we lose sight that we are a Trinitarian construct. We're an intellect, flesh, and psychology. And so there's a constant interaction in that Trinitarian form in our just in our humanity. There's our intellect, there's our flesh, and then there's our psychology, which interacts between the two. And so it is a, it's a complex approach, yet it's very simple because the demon responds to prayer. And the prayers of an exorcist mandated by his bishop bringing to bear the power and weight of the church in the centuries centuries of this practice um, yields some very dramatic results which ultimately bring about the liberation of the person and their reconciliation with God. The purpose of any and all exorcism is to augment the free will of the creature to return to, to relationship with Creator, reconciliation. That's the ultimate aim of exorcism. So you go into, you take an invitation when there may be all these questions. All these questions may still be there. The priest may not even be preparing for an actual exorcism, but he wants your help in deciding whether or not this person needs to be exorcised. Is that the idea that you help? I think that's clearly articulated. I'll review between 25 and 30 cases a week in various levels of of, uh, progression. Now, that's a lot. It Uh, is. (laughs) It is. And and the thing is, is you get to where you can weed them out pretty quickly and simply. It's like someone a doctor who thinks he's narrowing in on a diagnosis and then he'll say I want these particular tests and so it's it's much that way we follow a medical model where the exorcist would be the specialist surgeon if you will the general practitioner would be the parish priest and then there's a lay team um, that helps prepare the person and go through the case and so it's not that someone simply shows up and they begin the prayers Uh, in the American protocol it's a very methodical process by which we take the person through these various stages. If it's determined that the solemn rite of exorcism is needed, then there is a particular procedure that goes through to enable the exorcist to pray that rite with the ultimate effect. In other words, you want to get rid of all the um, extenuating circumstances, all the other things, so that he has a clear field, if you will. Imagine Mm -hmm. a surgery theater. So you have the maximum uh, expectation of of success. Correct. Here. Um, Are there other people uh, like you in in the United States doing this kind of training, or are you uh, a one-man 
production. Oh no, there <laughs> there are others who do this, um, and we're training others to to do this. And so, the the thought is to have many individuals who can expedite this 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 process because we're simply seeing more possessions. And you've been doing this for about twenty years uh, or I've so. Been, or I've been doing it close to twenty years. I've been doing it doing it five years full time. Um, I work with the Pope Leo the Thirteenth Institute, and I'm a case facilitator, administrator. We review uh, and evaluate a lot of cases at the Societas Matris Dolorosissime, which is a contemplative order of exorcist priests. I'm a tertiary there, and um, we're located in Denver. We review a lot of those cases for the various dioceses. But before your listeners try to call us up, everything comes to us through referral. So get in touch with your local chancery if you have a problem get in touch with your local chancery better still you're going to need a clergy contact because that's the first question we're going to ask you is does your parish priest know about your problem how many say out of the 30 you'd be, be investigating would turn out to be genuine possessions that's a good question and so let me qualify the data set if you will of those 25 to 30 I'm looking at, they've already come through a certain um, sorting process. And so there's about a third of those. There will be 10 to 12 of those that will get further um, evaluation, if you will. Of those, there will be three to four a week that that will turn out to be possessions. Now, we won't handle those, but we will send them back or give an evaluation and a recommendation of a prescription and how to, how to work through that case until it's ready for exorcism. Can you give us an example of what would be a true possession and then what is the process? Okay, there's two ways to get possessed. And in a classical sense. Now there's, the exception will accentuate the rule, but there's two ways. One is the progression. In the progression, a person goes through a spiritual and or uh, physical trauma, and their response is to turn away from God, and then they will begin a descent. This will take them away from the sacraments, away from a practice of the faith, until they begin to militate actually against the faith. And over a period of time, they'll pass from oppression through obsession into possession, and then in varying degrees. And so it's just a degradation, if you will. If you've ever watched someone decline in an illness or in a psychological state, it's a degradation, if you will, farther and further away from grace. Um, That's one way. What we're seeing more of is a direct contact with the occult in which a deal is made. There's actually a demon summoned and there is an exchange made. People don't understand what they're doing. These are on the internet. Um, Many times they're via video games or spells and books. Um, and a group will get together and for fun uh, they will have a seance or a Ouija party those are our tarot party or they will actually go and do the incantation well the demon shows up and he takes that very seriously and so then they find themselves um, with a claim now do you think they actually believe that the devil is is alive and well in these interchanges or do you think they go into that thinking oh this is kind of cool or interesting or I think they go in uh, there with a certain naivete. Uh-huh. However, you bring up a really good point. See, this is a thing in our Western mentality that we think our uh, intention is what is primary. 
intention is never primary. For instance, when the policeman stops you when you're running 50 in a 35, your intention was not to speed. Is that going to get you out of the ticket? Probably not. No. It's, it's the same as when I say I'm doing yoga only for the exercises. Um, that may be my intention, but since when is the intention the controlling thing? Um, and and I, I realize I just kicked the third rail and ran on by it with a whistle <laughs> there. We could come back to that at some other point. But what I'm saying is what we do has consequences. How ludicrous would it sound if I said to you, uh, I cheat on my wife simply for the recreational value? You, mm-hmm. My intention here does not begin to address the spiritual implications of what I've done. And so what they do in contacting the demon or contacting the demonic and becoming possessed, <clears throat> I may eat strychnine with no intention of it killing me, but it will do what it will do. And the demon will follow his fallen nature. How hard it is to get him out? That's an excellent question. First of all, to understand that possession is allowed by God. The demon does nothing on his own. He only does what he is allowed. He's acting true to his fallen nature, but he's not autonomous. Demons have the illusion of freedom and of randomness, but they are the most predictable creature on the in the universe because of their fallen nature and because of their tight boundaries from God Almighty. They're only allowed to do what he allows. So a possession is providential. God knows it. If he knows it, then it has a salvific value. The difficulty with which the demon the difficulty to extract the demon is precisely what the person will need to repair their relationship with God. That may be hard to get our heads wrapped around. Yeah, explain that again. That's uh... God's allowing the resistance to the effect that reparation must be served and his justice must be served. If it's too easy, then the person's not going to appreciate the depravity of their sin and the fracture of the relationship. Anne's nodding because this is a feminine concept that women understand very, very clearly. If I cheat on you, I'm never going to get from you the trust that we once had. I will spend the rest of my life earning what trust you decide to give me. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So now you see the concept of reparation and atonement. While God is merciful there still is the concept of justice, atonement, and reparation. This is the fullness of our Catholic faith. There's still that that wound. Precisely. The, and it has scar to, will always be there. Exactly. I mean, you see that with, with children who maybe lie to you, for instance, how long it takes to trust what that kid says again. And we give them, we keep giving them the opportunity to do what's right, but we're offering resistance. We don't freely give our trust back. God offers the resistance because ultimately the reason we were possessed is because we made a first commandment transgression. We were unfaithful to God. There was an infidelity. And he, in his mercy, gives us the opportunity to prove our fidelity through the resistance, to prove our desire through the resistance. So people actually do invite the devil in. In those, they may not be intending the the um, total possession sort of thing, but they play around with it, and the devil uses it precisely. And and from then on, they've got a battle. 
with God, really, basically. He has, he's the only one that can drive the devil out. Their battle was, is with the evil one, but the Lord's allowing the resistance yeah. so that they can come to him. What's now, the longest possession you I'm know? I was just going to ask that same question. <laughs> well, I think to answer it in two ways. Number one, liberation is not necessary for salvation. Well, that's a hard concept to get our head wrapped around. Mm-hmm. But liberation is not necessary for salvation. We see people who are possessed achieve a state of grace and then put up with ongoing affliction fully understanding they're give, they're doing reparation uh-huh. um, we've got some possession cases that we know of that are 10 and 12 years old we've also got and well possession case we had one that was a religious she was possessed for 54 years wow. she went into a convent at 16 possessed she was liberated two years ago having been in 54 years possessed this was not fun for her or the demon <laughs> and so you you get amazing cases but then when the when everything is right in the fullness of time God allows the liberation and how do you know now that she is not possessed there's a criteria in the same way that you lead the exorcist through diagnostic uh, to determine possession then you lead them through uh, the liberation process then there is a series of prayers to determine that they are in fact free and so that's over a period of time as well so it's kind of like following up you go back to your specialist he screens for the cancer not once not twice but three times to determine your belief I hate to say it, uh, that's all the time we have left. You've been listening to Joe Scheidler with his co-host Ann Scheidler on Pro-Life Today. That's uh, 88.5 FM radio. My guest has been Kyle Clement, a trainer of exorcists. We certainly hope you've enjoyed the show. Thanks, Kyle, for being here. Thanks, Ann, for helping out, and God bless you all. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Ann. 